It's been exactly two years since Russia started a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And as Ukrainian villages, towns, and towns and cities are under constant bombardment, uh, Tucker, Carl Tucker Carlson, well-known American commentator, decided to visit Russia and interview Vladimir Putin, Russia's dictator. His viral inter interview with, po with Putin was followed by videos that glorify life in Russia. And today we are going to talk about the meaning and moral significance of this reporting, of this, of this interview, and of those uh, videos, but also of some reactions uh, to Carlson's trip to Russia. Welcome to New Idea Live, the podcast of the Iron Institute. My name is Zimo with Gowen. I'm a junior fellow at ARI, and with me today is Mike Mazza. Hi, Mike. Hi, Zimo. So, so I think the first not... thing... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so let's talk about the interview. What's your take on it? What's your uh, evaluation? Yeah, so the first thing I wanted to bring up is just how um, we're going to talk at some length about how Tucker himself sees the interview, but just how the rest of the media is taking this, reacting to this. Um, there's a there's a kind of two two sided um, reaction to this. So I have a, a tweet from. Uh, BBC editor, uh, a Russia editor, um, talking about the Tucker interview. And he says, for Vladimir Putin, the Tucker Carlson interview was a platform for transmitting the Kremlin's message to the West. And for two hours, he was allowed to do that pretty much unchallenged. That's from Steve Rosenberg, the BBC Russia editor. That's a, I take that as a critical tweet about the interview. This is a criticism that Putin was just platformed for two hours. And that's obviously objectionable. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a, a number of uh, similar reactions amongst um, mainstream media types and commentators. And Tucker's defenders are kind of saying, like, what's the big deal? Like, it's normal journalistic practice for um, dictators, terrorists, criminals to be interviewed by the media. Um, it, it, why is this any different? It's not in the United States isn't at war with Putin. So there's not even like a, a, a case to like that to be made against interviewing. him. It seems like this is just the way we do things. Why does Tucker get any um, special uh, criticism? And I, I think there's a, you know, perspective where that's a reasonable thing to say. If you think that that journalists interviewing dictators is, uh, acceptable journalism. And Zeebo, I, I, I know you and I don't agree with that. And we'll talk about that uh, in, in a moment. I said it was a little two-faced that there's this kind of reaction to Tucker because that same BBC reporter before the interview was objecting to Tucker's claims that no one in the media wanted to interview Vladimir Putin. And he says, the BBC reached out to the Kremlin several times over the last few years and were rejected. And Christian Amanpour from CNN tweeted something similar that they had reached out and they were rejected. So there's an element to, to this that they're just a little jealous that I think that the Kremlin chose to do the interview with Tucker as opposed to something more, uh, as they would see it, respectable, uh, the BBC or, or CNN. But there's, there is a problem with the interview just on its own. It's not particular to the to the Putin interview. It's just the whole um, idea that it's uh, it's morally acceptable or or decent to sit down with a dictator, an authoritarian thug, a terrorist, a murderer, and talk to them and hear them out as if they have, you know, there's a two sides to every coin. Let's hear out why this person wants to go and conquer areas of Ukraine and kill a bunch of people and impose authoritarian uh, dictatorship on a, a otherwise a relatively more free people. Um, it's, you know, it, it, platforming Putin is, is uh, one way to think about it, giving him some kind of 
moral legitimacy by treating him this way, drawing an equivalence between each side. Each side needs to have its um, each side needs to have its case made. That's not just something that's going on in this case. That's what would happen when you interview any dictator like that. You give them a, a platform, you give them an audience, you give them a, a voice, you give them the legitimacy of, uh, of, a, um, you know, of a free journalistic inquiry uh, when they don't deserve it. Uh, so if the only thing that Tucker did was go give a normal journalistic interview, I don't think there would actually be too much to say about Tucker in particular. We could comment on just this practice of doing this. Um, but what's especially objectionable about the Tucker uh, trip, not just the interview, is one is he does treat Putin with you know kid gloves. You could imagine maybe the BBC or CNN might have asked more aggressive questions or something, and that would have been slightly better. But what's really objectionable is all of this commentary Tucker does uh, as he's in Moscow, which we're going to play some clips and get into in detail, it's the whole package of this adventure, the interview, and then look at how great things are in Moscow and how cheap the food is, and we'll, we'll play all these clips. Um, so, but before we get to that, I know, Zima, you had uh, a little to say just about the actual content of the interview. So why don't we talk about that before we play the clips? Yeah, but... I wanted to say that I completely agree with you that the problem isn't, as some people say, that Tucker didn't ask tough questions. The problem is that he asked questions that, that he interviewed Putin in the first place. And as you said, it gave Putin, it gives Putin credibility. A, an independent journalist comes to his palace and, uh, and gives him platform to, to, uh, to speak. And as you said, I think it obliterates it obliterates the differences between good and good and evil. Suddenly, a monster. Because let's be clear, Vladimir Putin is a monster, a murderer. Is one side of the of the debate, um, and and so from this perspective, it doesn't matter if you interview a president or a leader of a free country, country that respects individual rights respects its citizens, its neighbors, or a dictator who, who invades other countries. And, uh, and Putin has already invaded Georgia in 2008 and Ukraine in 2014. Um, and he's a murderer. And one of the... Uh, so imagine interviewing Hitler in 1939 or 1941 or even before the war. Would that be journalism? That you go to a Hitler to, to hear about what he has to say about those terrible Jews or Slavic uh, people or other countries that he wants to uh, invade? Because I don't think that there's any difference in interviewing Pu Putin versus interviewing uh, Hitler. Um, now, about the interview itself, I want to stress that I think that what's actually more, inter more, more interesting is Tucker's justification of the interview and then what he says about uh, life in Moscow and Russia. But the interview itself is really, so I watched the whole interview, obviously, and the interview is really the same Russian propaganda uh, with a longer historical lecture about how Russia was established and how Ukraine and how Ukrainian land uh, always belonged to some entity called Russia. And um, so first of all, there, there was nothing new. We've already known this propaganda for years, for years. Um, now, one thing that I want to say is that Putin's justification of the invasion is simply philosophically wrong. Because even if it's historically even if it's historically true that Ukrainian lands always belong to some form of the Russian state, which, by the way, I don't think is true, but that's not for us to uh, that's more for uh, historians to debate. Uh, but even if that were true, it doesn't give him any right 
any right to invade a country. Why? Well, because what matters is not whose lands belong to whom and when, it's what the kind of government you have. And the Russian government is a dictatorship and as such should be an, out, should be an outlaw. Doesn't have any rights because it violates uh, the rights of its citizens and the rights of other people. And there are many countries, like I live in Poland and, uh, po and Poland right now has some land that used to be the German land or the Prussian land. Uh, and Ukraine has some land that used to be the Polish land, etc., etc. Uh, and if you take a look at the long and bloody history of Europe, of constant wars, you will see that, that such disputes uh, would be endless. Uh, who owned what and when? But the problem is, again, that it's not about the land or history. It's about a moral evaluation and moral right of one country that is a semi-free country that basically respects its individual, its citizens' rights uh, versus a dictatorship that wants to conquer other nations, nations that are basically free. And of course, uh, one of the things that, Put, that Putin said, but it's again, it's, he, he's been repeating that for, for years now, that it's because of NATO, uh, NATO's uh, expansion, it's Ukraine's fault, that uh, it's about the 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 Nazification, although it doesn't make sense. It's not it's not justified at at all. Um, so the interview for those of you who have not watched the interview, I would say if you know the whole narrative uh, of the Putin's regime, you know it all. There there's nothing new, except for a very long historical lecture about history of, of Russia and, and some other uh, countries like Poland and, and Ukraine. Um, so let's, let's uh, go to uh, Tucker's justification of the interview. So, so he explained why he's doing that. And we have, uh, let's play our first clip. Here's why we're doing it. First, because it's our job. We're in journalism. Our duty is to inform people. Two years into a war that's reshaping the entire world, most Americans are not informed. They have no real idea what's happening in this region, here in Russia or 600 miles away in Ukraine. So what Tucker here is saying is that basically for Americans to be informed, he needs to go to a liar and murderer a person who has literally blood on his hands in order to be informed about, about, about the war. He's also, suggests, he's also suggesting that uh, Americans can't get any truth from their media, from the Western uh, media, which I think is despicable given the fact that there are Western journalists from Europe, from, from, the, U, from the US uh, on the front lines. In, in Ukraine. Mike? Yeah, I, I don't really see where he's coming from saying that the source of our being uninformed is that we have a lack of perspective from Vladimir Putin. That's, uh, that's a little crazy. But the, this, what he's giving is a kind of standard justification for these kind of interviews. So you get you would get this, you know, um, there was uh, a, a documentary on Showtime in 2017 uh, where um, uh, Oliver Stone interviewed Vladimir Putin for, I think it was a couple hours. He, the same kind of justification, not in the context of a war this time, but just, yeah, you need to understand what, what's going on in Russia and the way to do this is to interview this person and give them a show on Showtime. And that's completely dubious that you'd need to do that to learn about the motivations um, of the of a of a, a uh, hostile regime, you need to platform them like this. And Zimut, as you were saying, like there's nothing new in the interview. So what exactly did even if that was a real, if there were some plausibility to that justification that oh, we need to interview these people to learn how they tick and uh, blah blah blah. The, well, I mean, if he just gives the same propaganda that he gives it, it, you know, in public, that the I mean, I 
heard all that before in some form um, by consuming Western media. So it's not nothing I learned. So there's a kind of, um, I mean, it's some, some of what he's saying too is a little bit of a, a, a braggadocio, like he's getting this interview and nobody else wanted to interview him. And as I said before, that's not true. It's just that Tucker was chosen above, uh, above others, that others reached out also. And I think the second clip we have, I think has, um, has some more uh, uh, interesting substance to it. So let's uh, head over to that one. And yet the populations of the English-speaking countries seem mostly unaware. They think that as nothing has really changed. And they think that because no one has told them the truth. Their media outlets are corrupt. They lie to their readers and viewers. And they do that mostly by omission. For example, since the day the war in Ukraine began, American media outlets have spoken to scores of people from Ukraine, and they have done scores of interviews with Ukrainian President Zelensky. We ourselves have put in a request for an interview with Zelensky, and we hope he accepts. But the interviews he's already done in the United States are not traditional interviews. They are fawning pep sessions, specifically designed to amplify Zelensky's demand that the U.S. enter more deeply into a war in Eastern Europe and pay for it. That is not journalism. It is government propaganda, propaganda of the ugliest kind, the kind that kills people. Uh, it's really unbelievable how Tucker is suggesting that or is saying almost explicitly or is implying that Russia and Russia's dictator uh, who's been who, who treats his citizens as cannon fodder, who kills people, that he's more trustworthy than Western media. Um, this is this is something that is uh, that is really difficult to to uh, evaluate because it's it's a complete nonsense. It doesn't make sense from from any from any perspective. And again, I want to say that Tucker ignores the context, or either he he doesn't know about it which i doubt that that he doesn't know or he's intentionally ignoring the context which is putin has given a lot of speeches a lot of speeches about why he's invading ukraine and all all of those speeches have been reported by western media in in the us in europe in poland in the uk everywhere Moreover, it's not only about some speeches that we all can access anytime. Uh, even we, we can go to the Kremlin's website where we have transcripts from those uh, speeches. Uh, Putin uh, has published one essay or even more about his uh, perspective on Ukraine. So it's really not true. It's literally not true that you would need to go uh, this and that amount of miles to get uh, what Putin is saying. We know what he's saying, and we've known that again for years. And our and by our, I mean the Western journalists have been reporting that for years. So again, there's nothing new, and there's absolutely no reason for anyone to go to Putin because he uh, he makes those speeches and he publishes those. Uh, essays uh, that um, show his uh, perspective. When what do you think, Mike? Well, so I, I want to focus on what he's saying about the media lying by omission. So my take on the whole Tucker trip is that one of the things he's doing here is using Russia as a way to take America down a peg. So the American media, the Western media is lying. By, I, there's very real problems with the Western media. Um, but on this issue, I don't see what is being omitted. Like you said, Zimowit, like Western media discusses these, um, these Putin speeches and essays and, very informed about that. Um, 
he complains about them giving a false view of the war and fawning over Zelensky. Well, Zelensky has been much more willing to talk to the press than the Kremlin has. So that's part of the explanation. As I mentioned earlier, um, several uh, major uh, news outlets said that they had tried to interview Putin and they could not. Um, but I, I, I want to come back later to this claim that there's a, a lies by omission being, um, being, uh, being spread and that the effect of this is some kind of government propaganda. I think that's not true of the Western media. And I think it is true of what Tucker's doing. I think there's a lot of lies by omission in Tucker's uh, commentary on his time, um, his time in Russia. Uh, and we have another clip here think ready to go in which uh, in which he talks about life in Russia. He's at the grocery store. I think that's the that's the next clip. Yeah, I went from amused to legitimately angry. Um, so we were guessing what this would cost. Everybody here is from the United States buys groceries and we didn't pay any attention to costs as we were just putting in the car what we would actually eat over a week. And we all came in around 400 bucks, about 400 bucks. Um, it was $104 US here. And that's when you start to realize that ideology maybe doesn't matter as much as you thought, corruption. If you take people's standard of living and you tank it through filth and crime and inflation, and they literally can't buy the groceries they want, at that point, maybe it matters less what you say or whether you're a good person or a bad person. You're wrecking people's lives in their country. And that's what our leaders have done to us. And coming to a Russian grocery store, the heart of evil, and seeing what things cost and how people live, it will radicalize you against our leaders. That's how I feel anyway, radicalized. We're not making any of this up, by the way. So he's accusing the American media of lying by omission. What is this other than a lie by omission? Tucker's uh, middle-aged adult American man who travels the world, he knows that the prices of things vary by location. He's aware that there's a concept, cost of living. Um, what percentage of uh, the average Russian's income goes to food versus the average American's income goes to food? I mean, this is, I'm not breaking any like ground here. This is, been talked about over and over that, yeah, it's Russians spent $100 American on groceries. That's like they're spending about a third of their income on food. Americans spend 10 to 15% of their income. It's, it doesn't translate. And Tucker's completely capable of knowing that, probably does know it. That's why I'm characterizing this as a, a lie by omission. So the fact that groceries are cheaper in Russia doesn't tell you anything about life in Russia. You travel the world and you'll find groceries are cheaper in all kinds of places. And the standards of living are cheap are lower in those places too. And the incomes of the people are in those places. Is it all of those uh, numbers uh, you have to take not as absolutes, but as relative, like how, how many dollars is this versus how many dollars you earn. And it, he's going there, do it, saying these kind of things, prop, it's propping up, the Russian, um, the Russian state, make trying to tear down the American uh, United States, and misleading his audience about something important. What is life like under an authoritarian dictatorship? So he's lying by omission in a way that gets people can get people killed or does get people killed. So this whole trip he's doing, you know the the best light I could paint on it is that he's using it to take shots at his political opponents. But I think it's, I don't, I think that's too generous. I think it's, he is angry at the state of America and he's using it to take the country, take the United States down a peg or two by whitewashing Russia. Yeah. And, and so, as you said, he completely ignores facts about Russia, he visits the most uh, rich city, well, generally in Russia, if, if, if anyone knows anything about Russia, is that 
only a few cities are relatively rich and the standard of living is not that terrible but with but in all other parts of russia people are really poor so you said that uh he didn't say uh what percentage of income the russians spent on their grocery uh it's 40 percent 40 percent versus nine percent in the us and 13 percent in europe um but of course for anyone who thinks about it for i know half a minute it will be obvious that it doesn't make that this comparison between russia and the us doesn't make sense obviously if if you go with the uh, second largest the second uh most powerful currency in the world to a poor country obviously you will be able to buy more more stuff um but for those who are interested in the in the differences between us and russia uh, economy you could check out uh, gdp per uh, capita which is 15 dollars for russia and 78 dollars in the us and of, of course i'm not going even to mention the life uh, expectancy in russia or or uh, alcoholism in russia because it's it's just, it's just terrible and yeah, I think that you're completely correct that he's lying by omission. He's doing uh, what he accuses others of doing. Um, so maybe let's let's let us now move to clip number four, which is also interesting. Every leader kills people, including my leader. Every leader kills people. Some kill more than others. Leadership requires killing people. Sorry, that's why I wouldn't want to be a leader. Um, that. Press restriction is universal in the United States. I know because I've lived it. I you know, asked my former, you know, I, I've had a lot of jobs. Um, and I've done this for 34 years and I know how it works. And um, there's more censorship in Russia than there is in the United States, but there's a great deal in the United States. And so, I, you know, at a certain point, it's like people can decide whether they think, you know, what, what countries they think are better, what systems they think Sir, are better. I, I, I just I, want to know what he thinks. That was. Now, he, he's trying an, an explicit, he's explicit in equivocating between the U.S. and the and authoritarian Russia. With Like, he says, leaders kill, who do they kill? Putin kills journalists and imprisons the opposition leaders. That does not happen in the United States. When was the last time the United States government is even suspected of, of assassinating a journalist? or a United States president um, imprisoned uh, an opposition party member. That doesn't happen in the United States. He says there's press restrictions in the United States. I mean, I don't know particularly what he has in mind. Um, there are some worrying things that have happened over the last few years with respect to the Biden administration and social media. Um, but that is not at the same level of what's going on in Russia, where, again, journalists being killed by the secret police, those are not the same thing. And here he's drawing an equivalence between it. And it's reminiscent, reminiscent of the interview uh, Donald Trump gave years ago in which he says something almost almost identical, that um, Putin kills people, oh, we're, we're so great, we have you know clean hands. Um, it's very troubling that this is the direction um, so-called thought leaders on the right are going. It's an apology, apologia for a murder and dictatorship. This is so evil. This is so evil. If you watch uh, other videos with Tucker, he re repeats all the time that he's an American patriot. I'm an American, so I'm, I want the U.S. to flourish, etc. But he is comparing the US, a country that is founded on the, on the principles of individual rights, of people's rights to liberty, to property, to the pursuit of happiness, to life, with a dictatorship. It's a pure amoralism and cynicism. He says that every leader kills. So what's the implication of that? The implication is that it doesn't matter if you have, if you're a constitution, a constitutional republic, the Bill of Rights, the uh, Declaration of Independence, 
which is the greatest political document in the history, it doesn't matter because every leader kills. And yeah, there's apparently there's censorship in the US. What's the evidence of that? Well, none, because in the US you actually can say well, whatever you want. Uh, you can criticize our, pre our presidents, you can criticize Biden or whatever the Biden's admin administration is doing. Uh, and that's good that you can do it. Um, you will not go to jail. You will not be silenced. You will not be murdered by secret police or some other thugs. And in Russia, so he says that in Russia, there's more censorship. In Russia, people are literally killed, silenced. If you, if you speak about the war, about this war in Ukraine, which by the way, from the Russian perspective, the Russian propaganda, I think still calls it a, spe a special operation. If you speak about this war in a way that Putin's regime doesn't like, doesn't approve of, then you can go to, to, to jail to up even 15 years. And, and Tucker dares to compare that country, a dictatorship, to, to, the, to the US. This is, from my perspective, this, this is pure evil. And by the way, a, a several days after the interview was published, Alexei Navalny, who was uh, one of the leaders, if not the leader of the Russian uh, opposition, was most likely murdered in, in his prison. And we have now mass arrests in all over Russia. So there are people who, uh, who protest after this, uh, this death of uh, Alexei Navalny, and they are being put to prison. Imagine something like, like that happening in the US. You would never see it. You would no, never see it. So now I think we can move to our last clip, which is clip number five. And the most radicalizing thing I would just say for me in the eight days I spent in Moscow was not simply the leader of the country, who of course is impressive. It's the largest landmass in the world. And it's wildly diverse, linguistically, culturally, religiously. It's hard to run a country like that for 24 years, whether you like it or not. So an incapable person couldn't do that. He is very capable, and many of you know him, and you know that. What was radicalizing, very shocking, and very disturbing for me was the city of Moscow, where I'd never been, the biggest city in Europe, 13 million people. And it is so much nicer than any city in my country. I had no idea. My father spent a lot of time there in the 80s when he worked for the US government and barely had electricity. And now it is so much cleaner and safer and prettier aesthetically. It's architecture, it's food, it's service than any country, city in the United States that you have to, and this is not ideological, how did that happen? How did that happen? And at a certain point, I don't think the average person cares as much about abstractions as about the concrete reality of his life. And if you can't use your subway, for example, as many people are afraid to in New York City because it's too dangerous, you have to sort of wonder, like, isn't that the ultimate measure of leadership? Here, he's, he's not just singing the praises of Russia. This is actually an apology for authoritarianism. This, what this reminded me of when I first heard it was, it, Italians used to say back in the 20s, as an uh, to apologize, kind of rationalize Mussolini, at least he made the trains run on time. Well, at least the subway is pretty. I mean, in America, we have uh, ugly subways with graffitis and bums. But over here, you know, we have nice subways. Uh, I guess that makes it worth it. That makes a dictatorship justified. It's crazy. Wicked. Um, and what what's most interesting to me about this, about all of this, is just it, there's this shift going on. And Tucker is a kind of um, shining example of this. Maybe younger viewers don't realize this, but when Tucker first became a public figure is 20, 25 years ago, he was a CNN, uh, he was on a kind of debate show where there were cons a conservative and a liberal would debate. 
And he was a kind of libertarianish, free market conservative, singing, you know, kind of a Reagan, Reagan type conservative. Um, and now he's on stage making excuses uh, for dictatorships. And like we already said, it, the, the, the things he's praising Russia for aren't even like maybe the trains did run on time in in fascist Italy the the grocery stores aren't better in in Russia. It's, it's not even true what he's what he's saying. And one of the things he said on stage that jumped out to me is uh, at the end, he said, people aren't concerned with abstractions at some point. They, they're just concerned with the concrete reality to the subway are the subways any good it's interesting and revealing i mean what happens if you don't take ideas seriously um and you are a kind of conservative who wants to defend america well what you stop what you don't realize is that what's good about america are you know the so-called abstractions that we have individual rights, including free speech, including um, open and fair elections, uh, in, in, including, um, you know, the right to the right to oppose the government without being murdered. Uh, so the those sort of rights, those sort of abstractions that Tucker about, we don't care about them. At some point, you just you have to care about the concrete reality of uh, of of life. Um, and uh, he doesn't even have a good read on what that is in the United States versus uh, versus Russia, as we said before. I think a, a, a final, just interesting observation. Uh, six, eight years ago, um, our senior uh, senior fellow Ankar Gatte wrote an article on uh, the election of Donald Trump called "One Small Step for Dictatorship," and one of the points Ankar was making is that the rise of Trump and the Trump phenomenon is marks a shift towards the acceptance of authoritarianism, of um, demagoguery, strongman types amongst a segment of the American population. Uh, and at the time, a lot of the people like Tucker who were um, sympathetic to Trump or defending Trump or in favor of Trump sort of in denial that there was this authoritarian streak in the in the Trump right. Um, now it's there's no longer denial. It's it's out in the open. It's saying it out loud. Here he is on stage, a major conservative influencer figure. Giving the same sort of rationalizations for Vladimir Putin that fascist sympathizers gave for Mussolini in the 20, 1920s, 100 years ago. And oh, uh, on that point, I think we have uh, a, a, a couple of other conservative influencers uh, sort of me tooing or echoing uh, Tucker. So we have, um, is that is that up? Yeah, yeah. it's up. So, we have, uh, yeah, did you want to say something about that? Yeah. Yeah, so, but I want to say again, uh, which you already said, but I think it's worth emphasizing that one of the reasons why we wanted to, to talk about this topic is not only to comment on interviewing di di dictators as such, which we think is is, is wrong. Uh, we also wanted to talk about this whole trip, the way that Tucker Carlson justified this interview, uh, which we think, uh, as we've said, it, it doesn't make sense. It's It's not based on facts etc. But it wouldn't be such a problem if not for the fact that there are that he has so many supporters. And when I went through a lot of comments, comments, you know, posted by normal Americans, conservative types, uh, they they would say something like you're brave. And sometimes they would say that, well, Putin is a great leader. They would say that. Uh, what we see here is is interesting. So one of the things that we didn't comment on uh, that happened in the interview was po was Putin's completely absurd conspiracy theorist like claims that the U.S. is basically run by the CIA. 
So CIA runs the United States. This is what Putin said, basically. And here we see Candace Owens from the Daily Wire. She's a, an extremely popular figure, a commentator. She has, I think, over f all, all, almost, I think, 5 million followers on Twitter. And her videos on YouTube are viewed by probably millions. And this is what she says. Um, quote, our presidents are puppets. We already knew that, but Putin is confirming it. Close quote. So now our source of what's true, what's happening anywhere in the world, but especially in our country, in the United States, is, is some dictator, a murderer, a monster, a liar. And uh, the other example is Jackson Hinkle, who's also a, a conservative. Uh, he believes in conspiracy theories and he's basically pro-Putin. Pro, uh, he thinks that Putin's uh, war in Ukraine is justified and he also uh, praises Tucker, Carlson, Tucker Carlson's uh, interview. Now, our last example, but of course there are many, many more, is Charlie Kirk, who maybe isn't saying that Putin is great, but that this interview is, is a masterclass. Um, well done, uh, Tucker. And one of the things that I think is interesting, because we chose those three persons here as an example, because they're all very young. I think that Jackson Henkel is like 24 years old. Hannes Owens is 30 something. Kirk is, I, I think 28, I might be wrong, but it's, it's, I think not more than 30 years old. So they're all very young and we can see how Tucker's whitewashing of, of authoritarianism is being accepted as, and spread and justified by the new generation of people who are already very, very influential. So I think personally that it is very, very disturbing. And what's your take on that, Mike? Yeah, I, I, I agree, Zimwit. And I mentioned before just about Tucker personally starting off as a kind of Ronald Reagan type conservative. And now he's, um, uh, you know, it was Reagan who called the Soviet Union an evil empire. And now we have Tucker later in life uh, talking about how competent a former CIA, uh, uh, or excuse me, a, a former KGB agent dictator uh, is of the of of the modern Russian Empire, so it's it's a depressing and disturbing um, shift, which is not just isolated to Tucker Carlson, but you can see writ large on the right. They there was always an element uh, or, or a, a dominant um, um, sense of uh, skepticism of abstractions of philosophical systems on uh, on the right that you kind of get from Tucker's comment about, well, at some point, who cares about abstractions? And one of the exceptions to that is, well, there's at the same time that there was this kind of skepticism of abstractions of, of uh, deep philosophy, there was also a tolerance or an endorsement amongst a lot of people on the right of, um, of religion. And I think if you read about Charlie Kirk, Candace Owen, um, and Jackson Hingle. You, they're Christian. They, they think of that as their, um, you know, the, that's their identity. I'm not sure how religious Tucker is, but if you track the trajectory of the right and use you know, Tucker as a, um, as a indicator of this, they start out, um, with you know Milton Friedman, Hayek, maybe even some Ayn Rand, um, giving them free market ideas, they're uninterested in the deeper philosophical questions, except in the form of religion. And then over time, what's happened is the uh, bad has driven out the good or the better, and you see a more and more um, 
serious uh, taking some of the authoritarian um, aspects of religion is more seriously animating um, how they're thinking about the world. Uh, so now you have now you have the right opposed to the left on the grounds of um, you know, their own version of authoritarianism. Did we want to, uh, I think we have a few questions we wanted to look at. Um, to so close. first of all, I wanted to, to thank everyone for the super chat, uh, for your, uh, for your support. Uh, so we have, uh, there's one question, uh, someone, asks why not listen to what a liar has to say otherwise how do you know they are they are lying mike what's your what's your take uh, on that well it's not like we haven't ha heard what putin has to say like like uh yeah like exactly. some of the commenters saying he's got a big audience i mean he's the leader of one of the the largest countries in the world he's got a big audience and a loud voice. We don't, it's not a secret what he has to say. So what's the point of having him say it again? Yeah. Especially if yeah, all you, I, especially I, if all you accomplish is, is legitimizing him, <laughs> giving him a chance to just elaborate, um, look like a serious, thoughtful historian of, of, uh, of, of the region. Like that's something that Tucker's given him, uh, that he did wouldn't have just speaking uh from the kremlin one other question is if putin wanted to get his message out all he has to do is make a TikTok video why are we pretending that refusing to interview putin would be meaningful and the reason is i think we covered that uh during the first part of our of our episode the problem is that if you interview Putin, you pretend as he is one of the sides in the debate. You are legitimizing him. You are telling other people, yeah, he's a reasonable guy. I can ask him questions. And you're, and you're pretending that he's not a murderer, that he's not a liar, but we know he is. And one other thing uh, that we didn't say is, that that also helps Putin's propaganda. It helps his propaganda abroad. So more Russian trolls on Twitter and in other places will say, here, take a look. An American journalist is able to ask great uh, uh, questions. But also uh, such an interview can be used as a propaganda and, and actually has been used as a, pro as a propaganda inside Russia inside russia uh mostly putin flexing his biceps and saying how tough he is and how tucker soft is mm. it, just one more point on this there's there's a there's a slight sense in which the um the questioner has a point so if just tucker didn't interview putin and then somebody else did like yeah okay what difference does it make if Tucker's doing this? But to, to think about the effect is our position isn't Tucker shouldn't have interviewed this particular dictator. It's that journalists in general shouldn't be interviewing dictators. So imagine a world in which no American journalist will have anything to do with foreign dictators other than maybe calling them the horrible, evil bastards that they are. Like, what effect would that have if the um, respectable, civilized part of the world boycotted and refused to sanction the evil part. And that would make a difference. Yeah, you, so you're right that just Tucker doing this or not doing this is a marginal difference. But that's not the point. The point is that nobody should be doing this. No, no journalist should be doing this. No, um, uh, uh, no one who cares about uh, uh, individual rights and freedom should be giving any kind of sanction to a person like Vladimir Putin. Oh, we just got uh, I think a that's... YouTube. Do we get another question? Yeah, we do. No, but uh, just, I just wanted to acknowledge a YouTube super chat from KFAX, $20. KFAX says, keep it up. Thank you for your uh, support. 
Okay, so then I think that's uh, all we have to say on this topic for today. Uh, some resources, if you want to uh, follow up on some of the things we said, I think we recommended Ankar Gatte's uh, uh, essay from 2016, One Small Step Towards Dictatorship. Um, ben Bayer and Elon Journo uh, have, a, uh, have an essay on the war in Ukraine itself, Putin's War Embodies National Conservatism's ideology from 2022, so uh, about two years old, um, still relevant. Uh, if, you, if you've uh, enjoyed our commentary, please be sure to uh, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we'll be back next week with a topic to be determined. Uh, so if you hit the bell notification also, you'll uh, learn when we, uh, when we go live. Please send us your questions for future Q&A episodes uh, to experts at einran.org. We'll be launching a standalone Q&A podcast imminently. So if you'd like your question answered, uh, again, send it to experts at einran.org. If you're watching the recording, also please like, comment, share, subscribe, etc. This helps us attract new viewers, helps us get promoted by the various uh, social media algorithm, algorithms. Do the same if you're watching on Facebook, of course. If you have comments or questions about today's episode or you have suggestions for future episodes, please send us an email at newideal at einran.org. We read all of your emails, we reply to many, and we do take uh, suggestions for uh, subsequent podcasts as well. Thank you. Thanks, Zimowit, for organizing this, uh, and we'll see you, you all in a future episode. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.